Welcome to the Mostly Legal Podcast, a show where we examine the people who make law firms operate. I'm Amanda Copeless. I'm the executive director for Sheffield, Lohman and Wilson, a mid-sized law firm based in Central Florida. I'm super excited about today's guest because what she is going to teach us about law firm marketing blew my mind, and I'm sure it's going to do the same for you as well. And I'm Rob Joyner, Chief Revenue Officer at Centerbase. Unlike Amanda, I know the power and impact solid marketing can have on law firms. But she'll never believe me, so I'm counting on our guest, Brandy Hobbs, to set the record straight. Brandy started her career thinking she would be an attorney, but she's now a strategic change innovator, and man, does she have some wild insight for us. Before we get started, we want to thank our podcast sponsor, Centerbase, software built to power the growth of mid-sized law firms. Let's dive in. Brandy, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. So we have Brandy Hobbs. She is the Director of Operations and Process Improvement at Offit Kerman. You are an accredited legal professional. You have a Master of Professional Studies in Law Firm Management from George Washington University. And we actually talked about this in season one, about how it's one of the very few uh, schools that actually does a master's degree in legal studies. So I'd like to hear a little bit more about that in a few minutes. You started out as an executive assistant in a law firm, and you've really worked your way up and held a variety of positions. And I'd love to hear you talk a little bit now about your career progression and where you are and where you've been, what you're doing now. I appreciate that. Yeah, it's important to me that people know where I started. I didn't go to school thinking I wanted to be in law firm marketing or law firm management. I always thought I'd be a lawyer someday. Um, And after about seven years in a different industry altogether, managing and brokering professional speakers, I said, you know, I want to go to law school. And my husband said, oh my gosh, you're going to hate working with lawyers. And I was like, (laughs) watch me. Like, this is going to be great. So uh, I I went on careerbuilder.com and I applied for uh, an executive assistant position. That's how it was marketed for the um, law firm managing partner, at DLA Piper. And he was one of two co-managing partners in that office. And he had had a dedicated secretary for 28 years. And she had gone out on medical leave and he had hired someone else. And she went out for maternity leave. And I took a temp position and I thought this is going to be great. (laughs) Four months in a law firm and then I'm going to law school. Were you worried that that position had like a reputation? (laughs) I had no idea what I was getting into. Like I knew yeah. nothing. I, I didn't know anything about the law firm. I, I had looked it up online. I had no idea it yeah. was the, the largest in the world at the time. I didn't know what I was getting myself into. I did not know what the position would entail. I remember having my interview um, with the managing partner, Steve Pigeon, who taught me more than I could have ever imagined learning in that position. But he he asked, what kind of law do you want to practice? And I was like, I'm not sure. Maybe like family law, like your wife who handled adoptions, which is not the same. (laughs) Um, So, you know, just really, really rough start. Um, But I cross-trained for a few weeks and took it on and then loved every minute of it for two years. Um, I stayed and just kept learning. It was trial by fire. I worked, I ended up working with um, five litigation associates and the co-managing partner and a corporate associate had the best time and um, a headhunter. And at what point did you decide you didn't want to go to law school? Well, that's later, Amanda. That's, that's oh, way down the line. Oh my gosh. All right. All right. All right. I'll make it quick. Long story, long enough. Uh, a headhunter who was a friend kept calling and saying, I want to move you to this law firm. I want to move you to that law firm. And I just said, don't call me unless you have something like what I used to do for professional speakers, you know, managing sales, marketing, in a law firm, making more money than I make now. And he called, and that's how I moved into the director of marketing role at a small firm in Scottsdale. I got accepted to law school and oh, okay. promptly, promptly found out that my husband needed to move for his job. So wow. I had to leave the law firm, not for law school, but for a new city in a new state across okay. the country. And then so decided is- not going to law so- school. Yeah. So, so I'm curious at a small firm as a Uh director of marketing, you're going in, you're the only marketing person. What does that really entail? So I was the first person they had ever had working on marketing at a firm with um, 30 some odd attorneys. And it was really me trying to get a handle on 
who they were actually serving and what they were trying to sell because it was a hodgepodge of people who had left different firms or people who had been there their entire careers. And there wasn't really a clear message, um, a clear marketing stance. There wasn't a marketing budget. They had used an outside consultant for years who had helped them you know, prop up their website and put together flyers. But I think you literally up- just described every small law firm yeah, ever. <laughs> it, Just... it ended up <laughs> it ended up being really business development coaching, and that's actually how I moved into business development because I was able okay. to take what I had used coaching professional speakers years before, and sit with the attorneys and figure out who their target client was, where they needed to spend their time, how they should spend their money, what they needed to say about themselves. So it was a really interesting uh, opportunity and one I'm really grateful I had because it it helped kind of put in perspective for me what I was really passionate about. So when you were doing the marketing at this this firm, did you have buy-in from the attorneys where they actually bought into marketing or was it something you were having to kind of pull them across the line? I think it's really interesting because it was a mixture as it is at most law firms there were people already doing things that they didn't realize were marketing or business development. And so helping them add some structure to it was a little difficult. But um, but I remember talking to folks who really didn't know like at all what they should be doing and saying to them, okay, here's this is where your audience lives, right? These are the people you want to hire. So this is the organization I would get in front of. And this is you know where you can join up and offer your services, try to get on a board. You know, it was not pulling teeth. It was not rocket science. It was simply helping them see past like their day job, right? Like look beyond the desk that's in front of them. So if you can't bill for it, it's very hard to do it when you're a lawyer. Right. And also if you've never had like a reliable resource in house, that's checking up on you and saying like, Hey, like before your work slows down again, you might ought to want to be doing these things, right? <laughs> Look beyond the law firm. Look beyond your desk. One of the titles, I'll put that in air quotes, that you also have is Major Problem Solver. And I read that and I thought, oh my gosh, that's like I could literally live with that title. Tell me yeah. what that means to you. So actually, I have a colleague to thank for that at my last firm. So the last firm where I was the chief strategy officer, also a small firm, also new to the position and position new to the firm, I was in charge of so many different things. And one of them was uh, IT related. And (laughs) so a colleague of mine um, who also helped facilitate our relationship with our managed service provider um, put on his out of office, you know, for, for X contact this person for why contact this person for major problems, contact Brandy and another (laughs) colleague, another colleague saw saw it and forwarded it to me and was like, Hey, Hey, like you have a new title. So I, you know, I proudly took that and put it on my LinkedIn profile because um, that is really how I consider myself operating within the firm is if you have an issue, I will fix it. I will find a way. Um, So I enjoy the title and I appreciate that he thought of me that way. Good for you. You mentioned, okay, so you mentioned your title at your last firm, which Chief Strategy Officer. And when I met you, I had never heard that title in a law firm before. So um, tell me, what does that mean? What did you do? What does your day look like? So I think it, I won't speak on behalf of the entire industry because I think it changes (laughs) law firm to law firm, right? It's not as standardized as something like COO or Director of Administration, right? Um. But for me, it meant I was there to help focus their marketing and business development efforts through strategy. And I was also there to help um, direct some of the operational functions. Um, I was able to work with that firm to start strategic planning in a way that they had not done before and really start analyzing how we wanted to operate going forward and, and how we wanted to sell ourselves. And it was a broad swath. I mean, it really was yeah. an umbrella title. And we we landed on that title because it was not as well-defined as COO or CEO. They weren't ready right. to make that leap. But I was not comfortable staying in a marketing-only role. And I had reached out to them because I had heard that they were 
ready to make some changes and looking for someone like me. And so it was a, it was a collaboration. If I was kind of plain language putting it, it was a kind of a combination of strategy, but also being a firm leader, right? Yes. And so, but, but because of your business development background, it was really very focused on that strategy with business development as well as into operations, basically. Where do you draw the line? For you know yourself in that position versus an administrator or somebody like Amanda, like where well, do you draw that line between the two? Well, nobody can be somebody like Amanda. Let's make sure we get that say, straight. Nobody's Amanda. Let's be <laughs> nobody's clear. like Amanda, but maybe yeah. somebody who is better at their job than Amanda. How how do you draw that line? No, I I actually think um, there was a lot of value in the fact that the firm had an administrator who they saw as being there to manage their professional support staff. And um, it was a very defined role. And so (laughs) I came in and was able to absorb all of the, all of the things they wanted to do and didn't yet have someone to take on. So for me, that was the opportunity, right? Is here's a firm that wants to grow, wants to change, wants to pursue some operational efficiency, um, wants to focus more on marketing and business development beyond what they've done historically. And I'm the person that can do that. So it was, I didn't have to draw any lines. I was really there to catch all of the new ideas. Oh, that's awesome. That's exciting. What an exciting role. Okay. I'm going to let Rob ask a question, but I have one more question before I do. Amanda's Your... just taken over today. Oh, I know. Go I'm ahead. sorry. I, I keep thinking, okay, She's it's Rob's just on turn. A roll. I know. I'm I'm just Go so ahead. fascinated by these job titles and also by yeah. how your roles are so different in legal operations from all the people we have interviewed before, right? There's mm-hmm. there's this interesting crossover where your marketing and your strategy play together. And our season one guests were just very like we had some functional specialist HR, IT, but then everybody else were really full firm administrators. And so many times our jobs get lost in the day-to-day that we aren't able to take that step back and think about how to push the firm forward that we would like to. So I'm just jealous that you have been in positions where you've been able to do that. And so now your role is Director of Operations and Process Improvement. And so tell me just a little bit, like 10,000 foot level, what does a day look like for you? Um, A little bit of everything. It's actually, um, I mean, today alone, I was talking about um, a marketing project, a billing project, um, you know, systems integrations, had meetings with my team that includes facilities, onboarding, knowledge and innovation. Um, it's, it's a grab bag and I really love it. I think that was one of the things that attracted me to this position is, um, while the firm is trying to grow and improve from an operational efficiency standpoint, they're also very open-minded and well-run. And so there's just a great sense of ownership to say, hey, here's an issue that I noticed. I'd like to take it on. And they say, okay, have at it, right? Um, So it's kind of that mixture of of where I was with my past firm um, and better structure to yeah. be able to tackle some things that I wouldn't have been able to, to tackle there. Okay, so, Rob, now I actually am going to let you ask a question and I'm going to show God. Okay, Man. your turn. This, wait, it's going to be a uh, long season. Wait, so, <laughs> wait now, what? Uh, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I'm shutting up. Go, go, go. Brandy, one. Uh, so when we did our call before the podcast episode, you were talking about how you uh, go about these new projects and how you try to, you know, a lot of the time people have been doing it the same way for a long time. Right. Can you talk about that process? So, you know, you decide we want to do X. How do you approach that? How do you plan it out? And then how do you execute it? It depends on the project. So uh, one of the things that I've done at this firm and we've just started, so I don't, I don't have uh, a lot of data to show for the work yet but we've launched a BXCOE. So Accenture published this research recently about the business of experience, and it's about marrying client experience and employee experience to take a holistic approach to improving your business. And 
a COE is a center of excellence, right? And so instead of just like right. launching your average um, project management office, which I could have done and kept the uh, acronym a little shorter, I decided we're gonna we're gonna aim high. And so we've launched this program where where people throughout the firm can submit projects. Um, and as part of that, I've created a, a, a leadership team of our administrators. We're meeting monthly. People are meant to submit all of their projects throughout the firm and then come to these meetings and really talk about what they want to do, what they want to tackle. Um, and then I and a couple of other people on our team can help them figure out how to go about it in the most efficient way possible and to come out with the best results. So it could really be any department. It could be HR that wants to automate onboarding employees. It could be um, legal assistants who want to automate forms development or letter writing. Is that a little bit about what it is? Yes. And it's big projects that are coming out of IT and marketing and um, legal ops. We have a variety of different groups that are submitting and they can be big or small. And we've come up with a ranking system. So are they managed? Are they monitored? Or are they informational? And, um, and then based on that categorization, how do I and others on my team get involved? Um, so if it's a managed project, to your question, Rob, I would scope it out. I'd identify the requirements um, necessary. You know, I joke that all I do all day is ask, what does success look like? That's that's what I'm here for. <laughs> that's what right? I was what trying is, to get you to, to yeah, say. Yeah, what does success look like? And, um, you know, at the end, how do we know that we've run a successful project or we've reached the outcome that we were looking for? So scope it out, come up with our requirements, come up with our timeline and budget, stakeholders, um, steps along our project plan and carry those out. Because I've only been here for four months, uh, I stepped into the middle of a lot of projects, some of which were well-scoped, some maybe not as well. <laughs> um, and so we're really just starting this process, but I'm very excited about it because I feel like as much as it is about operational efficiency, it's about communication. And with a firm that's growing as fast as ours is, there's just so much uh, going on and so many people who need to be in the know about that activity. So it's been really helpful. How do you define fast growing for a law firm? You know, I didn't Your define firm. it here. <laughs> so uh, one of the things I enjoyed when I was interviewing for this job is that um, on the website, it says one of the fastest growing law firms in the world, I think. Good marketing. I don't know. Yeah. I, I It's great marketing. And honestly, I don't know what that's uh, rated against, but I do know okay. that this firm is growing very aggressively and um, very intentionally. And it's wonderful to see. It's a great yeah. model that they've developed. Brandy, my question, going back to some of the process stuff, what are the, um, without giving insider information away, what are some of the most common types of projects people bring to you? Like the top three, maybe. Right now, my law firm and probably most every other law firm is trying to figure out what is a person doing right now that can be given to a machine, right? Like what can we program out of this process? What can we, what can we make more efficient for the people doing yep. it, right? That's where the augmentation comes in. And um, it's just a lot of, without technology being the only solution, right? Um, making mm -hmm. sure that we're using our technology well. And I would say that kind of top of mind for me right now is that like most large law firms, my law firm subscribes to some of the biggest names in the business that comes with a really big price tag, price tag and a lot of bells and whistles, most of which we're not fully utilizing. Wait so, a minute. Hold on. Back up. You work for a law firm that has legal technology with lots of bells and whistles and you don't use them all. I'm, this is just You're a, shocked, such a fascinating, right? uh, this is a fascinating <laughs> concept. Rob, do you find you run into that on a regular basis? Yeah, but it, I think that's common across technology in general. I mean, you yeah. could go to a company like ours and we spend as a tech, software company, a lot on software and you know, most, most people you're only going to find adopt between, I don't know, 15 and 30%. Really? of the abilities of the software. Yeah. Just because it takes, people get really excited. They, you, you start using a new software and then just like anything, it's that ongoing training. It's that ongoing, right. you know, how are we going to continue to lean in and do it? People just get busy. 
Well, and that's where I come in is I'm supposed to, you know, take this holistic look at the firm and all of these projects, right? These implementation projects and these different softwares and, and figure out which applications are we actually using? Which ones are we fully utilizing? And where can we slim up and maybe put our resources mm-hmm. elsewhere um, or maybe train up people who can do the process better than whatever the technology was that we tried to implement? Rob, so- I need a brandy. Okay. I need a brandy. My firm, no, but my firm <laughs> needs a brandy. Oh, I don't. <laughs> well, Amanda, I was kind of, you know, I'm, you, we spoke about your role just a week yeah. ago, Amanda, and, and you were talking about what your day looks like and I'm hearing what Brandy's saying. And it's almost like, you know, you, you want to do a lot of what Brandy's doing, but yes. it's just natural in your role that all the fires come to you and you, right. you don't get a chance to do that. Right. I I would like to do 80% more of what Brandy does than what I do now. I wish I had the time, right? That yeah. in an ideal world, I would continue building out a strong administrative team. And I think other people in my same position that manage mid-sized law firms would love to spend more time getting into the strategy. Right. And I think, I don't know, Brandy, I think I actually, you spoke at an ALA conference and I think you said something I'm trying to remember but you said something like, why are we waiting to start working on strategy when the sh- when our house is in order? We should be working on strategy before we get to that point, right? right. And so uh, I wish that I could learn something from you in, instead of waiting to work on strategy and projects. And I mean, I had a phone call today with somebody talking about implementing a piece of our software, and I really want to get something automated for a department. And it's going to take a lot of my time and effort and energy. And I just need to make sure that I can devote the time to that and that everything else can wait and, or, you know, get delegated. And right. so I'm jealous that your firm I've, has I have RevOps Oh, Rev ops for that, Amanda. Oh, I don't know what those words mean, Rob. No. Can you uh, revenue similar. operations? Is yes. that what that means? <laughs> yes, exactly. They do everything oh, okay. behind Woo! the scenes to to make things work well. Well, one so, of the well, we things that those. one of the things that I find um, with a lot of folks, you know, is you get, like you said, Rob. I think you don't really have time, right? Or you don't make the time. You don't prioritize the process improvement you prioritize doing the process. And that's where I come in and say, hold up, like you are wasting so much time, so much energy chasing after emails and sending people reminders and, um, you know, setting deadlines that everybody blows. Like what if Mm -hmm. we just took one of those hours that you would spend wasting all of that time and energy and map it out differently and just take a different look at it. What are we trying to achieve, to achieve and why does it have to be done the way that you're doing it or does it? Um, and what can we change? So, you know, I'm a little bit of a pain because I'm asking people to divert their attention, but hopefully when I'm done with them, they find out that they've just freed up time, you know, on a repeated basis. If I'm thinking about this, given how much people hate change yeah. and you're a change agent, Oh, yeah. Do people really hate you? <laughs> yeah, sometimes. I'm not going to lie. It's a, it's a really good thing that I don't need to be liked. Um, I, like, I like to be needed, but I don't need to be liked. So um, I like to be needed, but I don't need to be liked. I love it. Yeah, it's, I, it's a, a challenge. Hey, Amanda, it's I, my turn. No, I want... Oh, okay, go ahead. So, so Brandy, Amanda keeps talking about mid-sized firms and needing somebody like you, right? Yeah. And I'm sure there's a lot of people listening to this podcast saying, wow, that sounds great. Um, we couldn't bring so. somebody in like you just because of staff size. What, out of curiosity, you know, um, you think about strategic planning, that's something that every firm should do. Uh, you know, if somebody were to come to me and say, hey, if you were to come in, what, what are the first five things you'd look at for sales or what are the first five things you'd look at for marketing from your standpoint, from a strategy standpoint, what are the first few things that you try to address and, and would look at, uh, at a firm as you're trying to help improve it? So I always go back to a book. Um, and this may sound I love very books. trite. I am such a nerd. Like I, I love writing everything. down what books I should read and then not actually reading. And then not so. doing that. Well, <laughs> one, of, one of my favorite books is Reinventing Strategy by Willie Peterson. And mm-hmm. um, the 
the thing that I love about it is he really breaks down his model of um, strategy into just this one box on this one page. And it's basically who will you serve and how will you serve them? And then the winning proposition, what will you do differently and, um, and or better, I guess, than your competitors. And that leads you to your five key priorities. And that's kind of how I think of things like who are we serving and what are we going to do different and better than they are to drive our superior profit profits and our improved customer experience or client experience. Um, Would you almost consider that like defining your mission or is that different? I really think about it as the whole strategy, right? Because if, if your mission is clear, then Mm -hmm. you know what you're trying to achieve. And then it's really easy to work back from that, right? It's when things get muddy and you're trying to be all things to all people that you end up with problems. You end up with law firms that are serving just way too many groups and industries and not really focused on- I laugh when you say that. (laughs) I laugh when you say that, Brandy, because it's like you go to these small, you might look at one of these small law firms, right? They have, I don't know, five, 10 attorneys and they have every single practice area under the sun listed on their their webpage. We are a full service law firm, Rob. We have lots of practice areas. Yep. So, you have like 36 attorneys and 482 service areas. That, that was always <laughs> my favorite is like to go to like a small firm site, you know, and you open up like the practice areas or whatever it is. And it's like this oh, menu that you have to like scroll through. Um, I mean, the fact is attorneys can do a lot of things, right? And so my yeah. mission in talking to them about like strategically approaching their market was I don't want to know what you can do. I want to know what you do really well. And if you earn my trust through that one thing that you do really well, then I will come back to you for all sorts of things because then you're my trusted advisor, right? Somebody else far smarter than I coined that term a long time ago. But your trusted advisor is the person you go back to and say, hey, do you know anybody who can do X? Do you know anybody who can do Y? I don't want to see on your website that you do 47 things because that tells me you don't do any of them well. So clean it up, <laughs> right? Clean it up, focus your energy. And I really think law firms could benefit from that same mentality, whether you're you know, 250 attorneys strong or 2,500, really focusing in on who you want to attract is important. Well, then how do you, but how do you address the fear that if I don't write mergers and acquisitions under my list, then somebody who's looking for an M&A attorney won't call me, even though I have done those before. They're not going to call you anyway, right? There's a million attorneys on the market and your competition is out there saying, you know, a million things as well. Just focus on what you do well and win that market segment. And then they will be the mouthpiece for you. They will be out there selling you. Um, That's That's for any business, right? Right. Just, just focusing. It makes so much difference. It does. And I am not feeling comfortable with this at all. You are really asking me to get out of my comfort zone. Everything I've (laughs) ever, well, I mean, everything I've ever known about law firm marketing, especially websites is you make sure that you have a wide net of legal services you can provide so that you can catch all the fish. And it's an interesting concept. What you're saying is to catch fewer fish, but better quality. Is that like a, yes. a good way of putting it? Interesting. Well, and people who really want you and what you do, not people who are going to have a mediocre experience with you because this isn't what you spend most of your time doing, right? And yeah. I think it's it's important to differentiate. I'm talking about the lawyer themselves, not necessarily the firm. The firm's beholden to the shareholders, right? So you may have to right. put 437 practice areas on your website. But when you're that one attorney don't put all 47 on your bio, right? And don't try to sell yourself as an expert in all of these areas. So where do you, I like right. this. you know, when you're, go ahead, Amanda. No, I'm saying I like it. I just don't feel comfortable in it. That's all. Yeah. It's like, <laughs> it's like it's a like, really hey. nice pair of boots that fit great, but don't feel good. And this is yeah. how this doesn't feel good. I mean, I know you're I have a probably new pair of shoes right. On like that today. Oh, I'm sure you do. Man, um, they're hurting. <laughs> <laughs> no, I I know that you are probably correct. 
I just need a little bit of time to sit in this because it is very different than what I have been raised in law firms to think about as far as marketing and having your skill sets out there. So I'm going to, I'm going to sit on this a little bit, come back around to me in a few months and see how I feel. (laughs) Rob, can it be my turn to ask a question? Yes. Are you sure? Sure. Go ahead. Okay. So you were talking about change agent and you have the accreditation of being a yellow belt for legal lean Sigma. And those are a lot of words that a lot of people probably haven't heard before. I asked this question. So Rob didn't have to say all of these words himself. So I would have struggled. (laughs) I would have stumbled. All right. Will you tell us a little bit about what that is and, and what that does and, and enlighten me? I received the yellow belt through the legal lean Sigma Institute which is an organization co-founded by Catherine McDonough. And Catherine happens to be a mentor of mine now. But when I first went through the program, it was part of my master's program. And it's essentially the two concepts, Lean and Six Sigma, coming together for the industry. And, And really, to break it down, it's all about eliminating waste and doing the right thing right every time with very little room for error. So I think for me, it's all about understanding the mechanics of what we're doing as a firm. How are we processing our bills? How are we writing our briefs? How are we orchestrating our technology projects? What do those systems look like? And then figuring out where the waste is. And in law firm, waste often looks like the same person touching the stuff multiple times. Yeah. So every time a lawyer yeah. drafts something and then sends it to someone else to add stuff to it and then reviews it and then somebody else marks it up and then yeah. reviews it, that's waste, right? Oh my gosh. What about the people that FedEx the the bills, pre-bills? We have some that overnight them out of town. Yes, Amanda. Stop telling my secret. <laughs> uh. Well, you're not the only firm. I just think... You know, it's, it's important to understand what are we doing it and why are we doing it this way and how do we, how do, we do it better? So um, the yellow belts is just a certification that says, I got some education to show me how to break that, those systems down and better understand um, how things work and how to make them better. So I have, I have figured out one thing, and that is that not only do I need a brandy at my firm, I actually kind of want to also be a brandy. You can be is there going to be a job offer on the call? <laughs> Do you want to no. go to Florida? Yeah, <laughs> no. Brandy, come on down. Sorry. Uh, no. That job I just that brought wanna... me to North Carolina still exists. So Yeah, uh, I just want to be Brandy. I wanted to focus on these things. You're inspiring me. I want to go back to my I desk and that. really think through some of this process improvement because I can see it, right? I can look it. I can feel it. I can touch it. And I think anybody in a law firm who's in operations could look around and say, that could be done better. That could be done better. That could be done better. And I love your message, which is take that hour and make it done better so that next time it's done. You have an hour to spare. You have an hour to spare. It also goes back to the practice areas, right? And cutting down on what you're doing and only doing what you do really well and what's the Uh, most profitable as well. Right. Instead of trying to do too much. Yeah. That's exactly right. And it helps in so many ways, right? Because then you're not chasing leads you're never going to get, but you're also not doing work you can't do efficiently, right? You're giving yourself a margin of profit that you didn't have before because you were busy chasing your tail, figuring out what the law says and what the statute is and what, you know, all of these different um, rules and regulations you don't spend your time in. So it's a, it's a good, uh, it's a good topper. I have this this little vein on my forehead that's like popping out right now. What I need to do is call the Botox girl and be like, Uh, this vein. And then she's going to explain to me it's not from that. It's because you guys are like literally blowing my mind a little bit. In season one, we talked about how I get itchy in uncomfortable situations. And this is making me very itchy, just FYI. I'm sorry you're itchy, but I will say... (laughs) Um, but I'm inspired, right? It's also super inspiring. And I, I want to get out there and do some of this. It's amazing. So you want to do something that'll just like knock your socks off. Host yes, a yellow belt event with Catherine and her team with your okay. clients. So okay. 
at one of my firms, we brought Catherine in with two other consultants from um, the Legal and Sigma Institute, and it was amazing. We um, we had over seventy people in the room, I think, and half of them were our clients. We divided each um, table up, you know, table tables of ten by um, by client or by problem that you were solving. So we had some of our admin team come in as well. We worked on everything from the firm's onboarding process to individual clients' legal project management. It was amazing. It was two days of absolute fun and learning and collaboration. I've never seen so many happy clients in one place before. Were the so, clients were the clients working on problems within their own companies or working yes. with problems? Okay. So they were just taking advantage of the training. Um and did it was it um corporate clients or like so individuals? We had- all commercial clients. Um, I want to say one of okay. them was a nonprofit or a healthcare organization. But, but yeah, we had um, several tables. In fact, one client had two tables. They had so many people interested <laughs> in getting certified. Um, and we we put it on the attorneys to invite who they wanted to include, and then they put it on their clients to pick what kind of process they wanted to improve or work on within their organization. And then they brought whoever they wanted from the organization with them. So. We let them bring as many or as few people as they wanted and had an amazing time with it. Um, just because it was so it was so client-oriented that they were driving the dialogue. They were driving the process improvement. They were opening up the doors to say, this is what we need help with in a way that they wouldn't in normal business interactions. I think Catherine's phone is about to start ringing off the hook. Just FYI. Let's hope so. <laughs> we'll put it. In the, we'll put her information in the show notes. How about that? Yes, I appreciate great. that. She would love That's that. Awesome, Brandy. One thing that I don't know if you mentioned it on this call, but you mentioned previously was your involvement with the LMA. Yes. Can you talk about that for a minute? Yes. So um, when I did transition from being a legal assistant to um, being a director of marketing, it was a bit of a stretch. <laughs> and uh, someone recommended to me to get involved with the Legal Marketing Association. So I will never forget my first session was actually with Tim Corcoran. And oh, um, he was talking about uh, pricing and profitability. And it was an yeah. amazing session. Um, and so that just helped me kind of get my grounding within legal marketing. I ended up being um, a member at large on the board there in Phoenix before we left to come to North Carolina. And I will say, my involvement has largely been reduced to speaking at conferences. Um, I spoke at like the virtual P3 conference in 2020. And um, I did speak at the annual conference this past year. But I think um, there's so much value in that group. And for me, primarily from the networking perspective, I heard um, a couple of your past guests talk about this, but the association is mostly about the people that you meet and the questions you can ask and the things you can share. And LMA has been invaluable in that way. What was your, so, what was your presentation about? It was tra- strategy and client experience of both and proposition, I believe was the title. I, I worked with uh, people <laughs> that are active in LMA and ALA. Chandra Storiston is at Visible Value. Visible Value. Oh, I and- heard you two speak at eight. ALA at the ALA, or CL- yes. Yeah, okay. I did hear you too. Yes. And um and Heather McCullough from Society 54, the three of us got together. We had met through a conference called CXPS. It's Client Experience for Professional Services. And that's a conference that I would also love to talk about because um I've been going there for five years and those people just speak to my soul. They're folks from industries outside of legal, primarily architecture, engineering, contractors. So we'd all, you know, bonded over this client experience focus, and uh, we we took our topic to to P three, and it was a lot of fun. Okay, I have questions. So LMA Legal Marketing Association, there yes. are a lot of people who are in both LMA and ALA because their jobs kind of cross over with the two yes. of them. Are the organizations really similar as far as what they are trying to accomplish, their mission, their values, and how they service the legal industry? I don't think so. 
Um, no. Okay. I, no. <laughs> I, I haven't really seen a lot of overlap. Um, my experience with ALA, I should say, is very, very limited. So I wasn't okay. involved with ALA until I got to North Carolina. So I'm speaking from like my my general introduction and um, my you know past experience at the annual conference this year. It seems to me the focus for ALA is much more on management and governance, um, really understanding the ins and outs everywhere from, you know, your super secretaries, your, your administrative managers to your COO, um, or CEO in my, um, Gartner's case. Um, yeah, but for LMA, it's really different. Um, that group is, they used to do a lot of offerings for content for your very beginning legal marketers, right? Again, mm-hmm. no one goes to college saying I'm going to be in legal marketing. So nobody comes <laughs> out of college knowing what that is or how to do it. And yep. so I think there was a lot of very beginning training, um, but they've they've really more focused on innovation and the growth of the industries and the variety of roles um, in a way that I haven't seen coming out of ALA. And that's not a bad thing. I just think that they are both very complementary organizations and that one is very much focused on operations and management and administration, and the other is really focused on, you know, growth strategy, business development. I think it's interesting because, you know, I went to an, a few LMA events here in Dallas, um, especially early on here at Centerbase. And, you know, even, even when you get to a mid-sized firm, you don't have a ton and, and I'm going to make a blanket statement that might not be true for everybody, but you don't have a ton of emphasis on marketing, right? So you don't have a place similar to a firm administrator, I guess. It, it can be a lonely position. Mm-hmm. You don't have somebody to learn from. You, you usually have a coordinator, maybe a director level person, but you don't have that CMO. Uh, and, and so, you know, having something like the AL, LMA is nice where you can really start to think about what is innovation in a law firm? What does that client experience look like? How can we leverage technology in a law firm to, to draw more clients? Um, right. Which, you know, to be honest with you, I've spoken to thousands of firms in my career now, and you, it's not something that's brought up often. No. And the truth is, because most people are busy with their day job, like Amanda was talking about, you know, there aren't a lot of people who are really dedicating a lot of time and resources to being innovative. And yes, there are hackathons and, you know, all kinds of different programs. But I I think it's no one association owns that right now. And I know that the ALA and other groups are doing as much as they can to sort of drive innovation and new conversations. Um, but it's it'll be interesting to me to see how the industry evolves and how industry associations evolve, given how much pressure the market is under right now yep. to make adjustments. Yep. So what is, and I'm just curious, and I'm going to put you on the spot here, what does innovation look like in marketing for a law firm right now? Is it around client experience? I would say yes. And I and I think kind of going back to that um, Accenture article that I mentioned earlier, mm-hmm. that business of experience, figuring out how to marry what we're selling to the outside world with what we're doing once we get a client on board is really important. And I think there's not enough of that right now. There, there are so many silos, especially the larger a firm grows, right? Right now, as Amanda sits there in her mid-sized firm, she has sort of a single point of view for the entire firm and all of all of its operations. Um, As you get bigger, there are fewer and fewer people who have that sort of insight into what's going on. And so I think it's really important that innovation is not just about, you know, what cool toys can we buy, but it's really about what are our clients expecting from us when they come on board and how can we deliver that to them in the best way possible? Sometimes it's just the communication. Oh yeah. I'm very inspired. I know I've said that like 18 times before, but I am very inspired and I hope our listeners can take away some of this and even, okay, let's end with this. You, you gave us the recommendation of holding the Lean Sigma event. If you're a small to mid-sized firm, what is one thing you can do now to have a huge impact on either client strategy or firm marketing? 
collect feedback. Okay. So like every survey and internal employee surveys. And in order to do that, you need to build some trust, right? So this isn't something you can just send out like a survey monkey survey. And honestly, collecting feedback, I think, is one of the things that is so underrated in our industry. Most every other industry you work with, I mean, you can't sign up for a newsletter without somebody sending you like an email that says, what was your experience like signing up for our newsletter, right? Like you get a text message like two minutes after, you know, you buy something and it's like, what was your experience like buying that fake chocolate online? I don't know. I haven't gotten it yet, right? Like I don't, I don't have the feedback, but in law firms, like we will take somebody's $10,000 retainer or what do you call it? Advance. Advance deposit. Advance deposit. Thank you very much. Trust Um, deposit. So, you know, we'll take people's money and we will say, here, give us your money and we'll do things for you. And then we'll never ask them like what this experience was like and and how we serve them. We'll also employ people for 25 years and never ask them like, what do you think we should do better? And how do you think we could make this you know place more efficient? Um, so I think anybody can take feedback. And that is... Gosh, I'm like, my mind is blown right now because I'm thinking about like, I ordered some plant fertilizer on Amazon, right? Some, from some succulents. I can't grow anything, but I'm determined that I'm going to grow these succulents. And I ordered some, (laughs) some succulent fertilizer and it came in the, it was came in on Amazon or whatever. And, um, I got an email the very next day that said, tell us how we did. We want your feedback how was your plant fertilizer? Well, I mean, it probably is going to do this as well as it can and the succulents are going to die anyways. But to your point, the plant fertilizer people are asking for feedback. Right. And so your advice is we should follow what seems obvious. And oh, it's all right in front of you. It's all right in front of me. You know, what's interesting, Brandy, I love what you said. So like two things. First, I just hired an outside sales trainer. And after we finished the engagement, they actually wanted to send me a gift. So they, it wasn't you, Amanda, although you <laughs> were it. great at it. Uh, <laughs> they they wanted to send me a gift. And so they they went through the survey uh, with me. How was the experience? What, what things do you like? But at the end of the survey, they actually asked, hey, if you had a positive experience, do you mind just writing a sentence or two here reviewing us? Right. And they posted that review. So not only does it help you collect data, but you can then take it and get more reviews. And when you do double down on we're going to do something really well, that's how that's how you start to be that that trusted advisor, that source of truth in your specific practice area, in your specific region. The other thing, Brandy, to what you said, we started just doing ENPS scoring as well. Mm -hmm. So employee NPS scoring, taking that feedback. And we've also started on a team basis doing like uh, quarterly pulse checks. So right. I'll send I'll send something out just to the sales and marketing team, and I'll get more specific feedback to what we're doing. Oh my gosh, the 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 stuff you get back is amazing. It's important though if you're doing that to actually do something with it, That's and for your key. employees to see that you're doing something with it, or they won't lean in as much. That's right. But I totally agree with you. Those two things are amazing. And I will say, just to follow on to what you said, do not collect feedback unless you are absolutely willing to act on it because you will damage the relationships, whether it's that 25-year legal assistant or it's that brand new client who just paid you, you know, loads of cash. Like if they give you feedback and you don't act on it, you have just ruined that relationship. Um, I do want to give another like plug to two different companies. So Wicker Park Group, Laura Maherg and her friends there, they do amazing feedback training. Um, and they also do client feedback collection. So they'll travel to your clients. They'll do phone interviews. Um, they came in and trained one of my firms. And I cannot tell you the amazing impact they made on helping the partners, the shareholders really understand why the feedback matters and what we're expected to do with it. So, you know, I would definitely advise, like, get a company who does this for a living and can tell you how to do it right. There's also another company called Trust Mary who will visit your clients on site, collect their videoed feedback and give you something to post on your website, right? A commercial yeah. made by one of your clients. And so it it runs the full gamut 
of like, we just want to send a survey to like, (laughs) we want you on video on our website, but every bit of feedback makes you a better firm, right? As long as you're willing to act on it. Wow. Okay. I have so much, I have so much to unpack and I really appreciate you sharing this with us. I hope that anybody listening gets at least one bit of inspiration that I've gotten. So let's wrap up and I want you to go into our final segment. This is the pitch your passion segment. You're very passionate and you've pitched a lot of passions already, but let's hear your number one, uh, ready to go. Well, I, um, so we talked about this a little before we got online. I love my kids, right? Most people love their kids. Like Your sign about- in the background says the best mom ever. And I assure you, those are things my children have never written ever. Oh, anywhere. that's not true. That's so- not true. <laughs> I, I know that I know that they have, but but I you know, on that note, right? The relatives is this organization I care a lot about here in North Carolina. They're um, based here in Charlotte and it's an organization for kids who just don't have the support that kids like ours have, right? Um, so they have in a crisis center that's made um, out of a home that's on a very popular street here in Charlotte where kids age 7 through 17 can come stay for extended periods of time if they've run away from home or if they're maybe in the foster care system and are in transition between one place um, to another. They also have an on-ramp center that's for young adults Um, to get the support they need. Maybe they're aging out of foster care or they've been on the streets for um, a significant amount of time and they need housing and they need job training and they need basic hygiene instruction that they haven't received throughout their life. So I'm very passionate about the relatives. Um, You can look them up online and donate to them. Um, But if you're in the region or in the area and you want to volunteer, they have all kinds of opportunities. And even remotely, if you'd like to volunteer, they have a mentor program that they're relaunching. And um, it's important to me. I care a lot about kids. I used to be a CASA volunteer. It's a court-appointed special advocate. Yeah. And um, I just want to make sure that as many kids out there have have the support they need um, as is possible. So that's my, that's my passion. Awesome. Brandy, thank you so much for joining us today. We really have a lot of great takeaways and some big inspirational ideas are going to come out of this, I hope. So thank you so much. I appreciate you guys having me. This was a lot of fun and uh, I admire you both and how much uh, heart and work ethic you both put forward. And I'm really grateful that you guys have this podcast for those of us out here listening. Checks in the mail. Thanks for joining us for this episode of The Most Illegal Podcast. If you like what you heard, make sure you like and subscribe so you don't miss a single episode. You can also check us out online on MostlyLegalPodcast.com, where you can sign up for our email list, get weekly recaps, and get some of your very own Mostly Legal swag. <laughs>